All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, welcome back. You know what time it is. It's another edition of the Fan in the Van podcast time. And God only knows, hopefully I can get through this without my dog crying again tonight and needing countless, countless amounts of time of friggin' affection and attention. Um, so obviously last night, Judge has tied Babe Ruth for 60, and the kid who wound up catching it, him and all his friends got autographed baseballs. He got a ball and a bat autograph. And this comes with a lot of scrutiny in a way where a lot of people are saying the kid should have kept the ball, you know, and got some money out of the Yankees. Um, but, you know, when it comes to that, some people feel that it's more the player accomplishment and that the player should have the ball back. And I was talking about it with Jay earlier, and Jay's like, you know, I'd be, I'd be getting, I'd be asking for a $500,000 check. I'd want autographs. You know, the same thing with me. I would want something, you know, in return I would want autographs, season tickets. Um, you know, obviously, when you catch something that's historic for a player, obviously, you're going to want something that benefits you out of it. And, But I commend this kid, though. He didn't ask for much. All he asked for was for an autograph ball and a bat. And you really can't go wrong with it. And the fact now the judge is one away from tying, two from breaking, and what is it, like 15, 16 games left? You know, does he have a legitimate shot of breaking bonds? It's going to come close. But they're already saying this 60, the 61st home run the judge hits, not only is it going to be a bloodbath trying to get to it, because if anybody's seen the video last night of them getting to his ball, it was absolute anarchy. This is going to be far worse. And any home run hit after that. And right now, if the season ended today, he's the triple crown winner. And he's also the MVP winner. I don't care what Shoatani's doing as a pitcher and a batter. Because my opinion on that is, and I've been asked, is, you know, as far as Otani pitching and batting, you're cutting his, his playing time expectancy in half. Because what happens if he throws his shoulder out or needs Tommy John surgery? You take his bat out of the lineup. At some point, Anaheim's going to have to pick and choose, hey, we either want your bat or we want your arm. But they can't have both. I mean, this season, he got lucky. He wasn't really hurt. I mean, first guy with 20 home runs and, and 30, uh, what was it, 30 home runs or 20 home runs and 10 wins as a pitcher and a hitter. You know, something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. I understand that. But if you look at Judge's numbers, though, Judge is ranked number one in everything, even those stupid friggin' sabermetric categories that some virgin in their basement made up. You know, he pretty much leads in every category. And if he doesn't win it this year, then there's a serious problem with the ML, with MLB's MVP voting process then. There really is. And the fact of the matter is, you know, um, it was something that my buddies at 1420 Sports uh, tweeted out earlier. I forget exactly what it was, but I had to do with Judge. And, you know, would he? St- I think it was pretty much would he still remain a Yankee after this offseason. And I've been saying it. They're going to have to overpay now. They're going to have to give him a contract they don't want to give him. Because the Mets are going to go in on him. The Giants are going to go in on him. You know Boston's going to try to go in on him. The Dodgers are going to try to go in on him. You know, teams with, teams with a high cap room that have a lot of money to spend. You know, and you could say that with the Mets now. You know, if this was three years ago, if this was happening, I would say the Mets had no shot. Because at that time, the Mets couldn't even afford to buy a friggin' a bag of balls at that point with the, with the coupons owning the team. But would, the, would he go to the Mets? I don't think Aaron Judge would leave the Bronx 
But the Mets are going to put in an offer that makes Hal and Brian going to have to write a larger check than they really expected to. And not for nothing, the self-bet is paid off. You know, everybody doubted Judge and everybody sitting there saying he should have signed the deal that was offered to him. And if he did and produced like this, the Yankees would have saved a fucking boatload of money. You and I all know it. They would have saved a boatload of money. But Judge said, no, I'm not signing it. Judge knows his worth. You know, a lot of people said that ah, he's not going to produce the way everybody thinks he's going to produce. He's overproduced to my expectations. I didn't expect him to lead, you know, in every statistical category. Nobody expected him to get to 60 home runs. Nobody expected him to be healthy the whole year. And that's the other key point with Judge this year is that he's been healthy the whole year. Now, question is, can he continue it? I'm not expecting him to hit 60, 70 home runs a year and, and lead the league in everything every year. But if he hits between 40 to 50 a year, 125 to 140 RBIs, batting average around 320 yearly for the next, say, seven, eight, say it goes nine years, and he's healthy the whole time and it produces three, four world championships out of it, is overpaying for Aaron Judge the worst thing the Yankees could have did? No. It would have been the smartest thing at that point. You know, and I tell everybody this, when it comes to sports, there's going to be a team... Even if it's your own team, it's going to overpay for somebody. I mean, you look at the Arizona Cardinals in football. Obviously, they overpaid for Kyler Murray. Look at the Raiders. Overpaid Derek Carr. You know, look at the Jaguars. They overpaid everybody in free agency because they had 95-plus million in in, in salary cap to spend. And they said, fuck it, we're going to spend it all. You know, you look at other guys that are taking self-bets on themselves. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson is another one. You know... Bottom line is this, he turned down some good contracts, but they're not the contracts he wants. He wants a lot of guaranteed money, and this, in case, goes to, unfortunately, Deshaun Watson. You know, which, uh, a a little while ago, I was scrolling through Twitter, and one of my Steeler buddies, this guy Dane, was going at it with with a Cleveland Browns fan. And for those that are Steeler fans that listen, you know, this guy's saying that Rod Woodson, we all remember legendary Rod Woodson, um... You know, everybody, you know, this kid is sitting there saying he was a plug-and-play system player and would have never made it on the Cleveland roster, and he's not a Hall of Famer and blah, 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 blah. So this guy, Dane, he goes straight up. He goes, name me somebody better than Rod Woodson. You know, and he couldn't do it. And this is the stupidity of the Cleveland Brown fan base, is that you talk all this shit about the Steelers, but you can't name a player better. The only person I'll give you that was good in your secondary for a few years before he left and came to Pittsburgh was now recently retired, Joe Hayden. And I got asked earlier today on Twitter how I felt about him signing a one-day contract to retire as a Cleveland Brown. Listen, to us, he'll always be a Steeler. And you could put, a, you could put to the side for five minutes the Brown-Steeler rivalry. But Joe Hayden did a lot for us when he came to Pittsburgh. You know, he was a solid corner. You know, we'll all remember that, you know, that jump in the air pickoff of Tom Brady against New England um, as one of the most iconic interceptions he's ever had. But at the end of the day, he started in Cleveland. So I don't fault the guy for signing a one a one day deal to, you know, to retire with the team that drafted him. I have no issue with that at all. Even if it was Cincinnati or whether it was friggin' Baltimore, I don't give a shit. You know, it's the same thing if. You know, Antonio Brown wanted to sign a one-year deal with Pittsburgh 
come back, you know, come back for one day, sign with Pittsburgh, and retire as a Steeler. I would have no issue with it because he was drafted by the Steelers. But before we get into more NFL talk, obviously, you know, obviously as the baseball playoffs approach, you know, we're getting key guys back. Tonight, Severino starts. Oswaldo Cabrera already hit a grand slam, it looks like. Um, you know, I also got asked by a bunch of people the other day uh, when I was out at, out at the bar watching the Sunday games, you know, do I think that now that we're getting key guys back from injuries, can the Yankees make a long run into the playoffs? Durability is the key aspect of all of it. They all have to stay durable and they all have to be healthy. Right now, we cannot afford to lose a single player that's coming back, which means Severino can't get hurt again. We can't afford to lose Rizzo. We need DJ LeMayhew back. We need Cole to be the ace we're paying him to be. We need Nestor Cortez to be that guy right behind him. You know, Frankie Montas is on the IL. God only knows how long. And it's the same injury he had with Oakland. Um, this Harrison Bader kid looks pretty decent from what I seen of him last night, which again means that, the, you know, the writing's on the wall for Aaron Hicks at this point, which means he'll get little to no playing time, which means in the offseason he might get packaged in a deal, maybe to bring in a minor league relief pitcher, or do they just cut ties and say, listen, we owe you this, we'll pay you half of what we owe you because you haven't produced the other half, and let's just call it a day. You know, and, and at the time when you looked at it, it was, what was it, a 10-year, $70 million deal, or seven, no, seven years, $70 million. You looked at that deal, you said, okay, it doesn't hurt us. Because it's, you know, it's in essence, it's $10 million a year. But now that you look at that contract, yeah, you overpaid a guy who's, who hasn't even played a quarter of the worth of that deal so far. So Aaron Hicks is a guy in the offseason that's got to go. I probably mentioned it at length that the Yankees this offseason, they, they have to find their balls. And they have to really be, they really got to be hard and heavy in this offseason. You know, they got to go and get that other starting pitcher you know, whether it's – if you can lure DeGrom to the Bronx, even if you have to make him the first $50 million a year pitcher in Major League Baseball, he, he's got to do it. Hal and, Hal and Brian Cashman have got to do it because you've given Cashman so many chances that this, to me, as a Yankee fan, I'm sure Brent at 1420 Sports would agree, being another huge Yankee fan like me, He's got to agree with me, and I know he's going to listen, and I know he's going to agree. This is the last stand. This offseason is the last stand for Brian Cashman. This, I don't get He's had a finite amount of chances to build a World Series team. I don't want to hear, well, Houston cheated, Boston cheated, you know, um, this happened, that happened. I don't want to hear that. Because when you look at teams of Yankees past, when a guy's gone down, the next guy's managed to step up. And that's something that they've missed. That's something that they've missed, and there's something that they need to go back to. I understand Hal doesn't want to go over the luxury tax. He doesn't want to pay more than need be. But you know what? Sometimes, to make money, Hal, you got to spend it. And you got a shit ton of it. Pretty much it's daddy's money, but still. You got a shit ton of it, and you got to go and spend the motherfucking thing, all right? So, that's what you need to do. All right? Obviously, you've got to address the shortstop position. You know, this Isaiah friggin' whatever his fucking full name is. He's decent, but he's not the answer at short. Do I go and maybe talk to Didi Gregorius, who's kind of was on the downswing this whole year? You could bring him in on the cheap two years. 18 million will do it. And that's being generous. I would bring him back into the fold because when Didi was here, Didi did great things. 
So I would bring Didi back into the fold. Um, whether the Yankees win the World Series or not, I don't think Aaron Boone's the manager long-term for this team. I think you need a guy like, you know, and a lot of names have always been thrown out there. Can they lure Donnie Baseball out of Miami? Um, you know, could you maybe consider one of the Yankee broadcasters, maybe David Cohn is a manager? I could see it. Paul O'Neill would fit in perfectly because Paul O'Neill don't take no shit. So I think Paul O'Neill would be the right choice. And I think with the amount of times Jeter's been back at the stadium this year, I understand that Derek Jeter tribute night, da-da-da, whatever. But I think Derek Jeter, if Cashman doesn't do anything this offseason, you got to call Derek Jeter in as the next GM. I'm sorry, you have to do it. You have to do it. I mean, you've given Cashman all these chances, and it's only led to one World Series in over a decade which is way too long at this point. So you got to take a look at that, and you got to just, you know, Hal's going to have to rock the boat at some point. He's going to have to find his dick and balls and start rocking the shit. You know, bottom line. But we could talk more Yankee baseball any day of the week. We all know that. Um, But, you know, obviously, we'll go into a little more a week two in football. Obviously, we had some huge, huge upsets. Cleveland blowing a a 14-point lead with 82 seconds left, 13-point lead, whatever it was. Um, You know, Joe Flacco went out there and just carved up their defense. You know, listen, you could sit there because they brought back, I was watching something earlier, and there was an interview with Nick Chubb from two years ago where he was told don't score on a play that would have, in essence, given, I forget who they were playing at the time, it would have given them a chance to come back. And he was told by the coaches and Baker and his headset and his helmet run out of bounds. And he did. This time he scores. And a lot of people say maybe Cleveland misses that part of having Baker Mayfield as opposed to Jacoby Brissett. But not for nothing, if Stefanski is this great head coach that Cleveland fans think that he is, Stefanski should have known in that situation have him run out of bounds and just keep eating the clock and don't give the Jets any time on the scoreboard to even come back with 82 seconds left. But again, Cleveland's always going to Cleveland, and that's just that's just that. That and that fucking elf in the middle of the field is the most grotesque thing I've ever seen. And I don't know for anybody else who's seen it when they were tailgating. They had a friggin' hospital gurney bed laid out or whatever, and they had a prosthetic mannequin with underwear on with a heart on, and it said rubbing tugs here. This is how disgusting the Cleveland fan base is, and honestly, I think a lot of them are inbred cousin fuckers, to be honest with you. Because they have no mindset. I mean, you have kids at these at these games, and these are grown adults acting like jerk offs. One guy had, one guy had a jersey on that said "Rub me four. <laughs> like you gotta be fucking kidding me here. Uh, it's 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 not that I'm laughing because it's funny. I'm just laughing because of the idiocracy of how Cleveland fans just act. Whether it's whether it's in public or on social media, they just have no class and no clue to anything um you know you look at the dolphin raven game and, and that was one where baltimore blew it baltimore blew it and a lot of people say now you know Tua tongue viola is elite y- y- you gotta pump the brakes there. i understand you know Tariq Tariq hill and waddle were both o- over 100 yards receiving which is like a dolphin record or whatever and and you know Tua tongue viola is throwing for six touchdowns but you got to pump the brakes on this elite thing. I understand they're 2-0, and 
you know, and they're up there with Buffalo now and, you know, in the lead for the AFC East. But Tua Tonga Viola is not elite yet. Okay, he's got a long road to go still before he's considered elite. A guy like Patrick Mahomes is already elite because of what he's done. You know, you could say Lamar's getting there. The only thing that's keeping Lamar from getting there is what Mahomes has already got. And that's a Super Bowl. That's the only thing that's keeping Lamar from getting there. And that's a, that's a Steeler fan giving a Raven player credit. Because, again you, you, again, you have to give certain players credit where it's due. You know, listen, Lamar did what he had to do Sunday. You know, he was running. He was throwing. He's been more accurate. So, you know, he's worked on that in the offseason. Um, you know, but again, when you talk about elite quarterbacks, there's certain things that go into it. You know, well, it's, it's not just the accolades. That's a part of it. But it's, you know, it's your win record. How many MVPs, you know, Super Bowls, you know, a lot of things factor into being elite. Fourth, fourth quarter game winning drives, two minute game winning drives, you know, all that factors into into all that besides the accolades. Obviously, the accolades have a big part of it, but it's the, it's, the, it's the little things. It's the intangibles that make you elite. And that's something that makes Mahomes an elite quarterback. That's something that's getting Herbert to that elite status. That's something that where Aaron Rodgers is, even though Rodgers has blown big games, Aaron Rodgers is an elite quarterback. Drew Brees was elite. Peyton was elite. Eli was elite. I don't care what you say. Ben Roethlisberger was motherfucking elite. You can hate him, you can love him, but the guy was fucking elite, okay? Which leads me into, I know I discussed it for a quick minute or so last night, but I'm going to delve into this more. Obviously, we have issues in Pittsburgh, okay? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a shit situation. You have a quarterback whose offensive coordinator don't trust him. You have a coach caught in the middle. You have the fans turning on Mitch Trubisky already. Now... Mitch Trubisky's been a, a, a starting quarterback and a quarterback in the league for six years. So he's a veteran. He knows what to do. But for Matt Canada to sit there and say whatever play is called is what it is, and you're in the huddle, and you have your players telling you, no, don't call that, call this. You know, look, look at the way they're lining up. They already know what we're running. That's a problem if you can't let your general on the field dictate what's going to happen. If he sees something different, you got to let him call the audible. It, it, plain and simple. I, I guarantee you, if Kenny Pickett was out there, you'd be letting him call audibles. So you got to let Mitch call the audibles. And, and this thing with Pickens and, you know, and Trubisky, and he's saying he's open 95% of the time, that's not him throwing Trubisky under the bus. That's George Pickens stating the obvious because he has been open 95% of the time. Because they're double-teaming on Deontay Johnson, and they're double-teaming on Fryermuth at times, and they're double-teaming on Claypool at times. So that's going to leave Pickens with one-on-one coverage. The issue is, is the O-line was a little bit better this week, but it wasn't great. Mitch isn't really reading through the progressions the way he should, and I feel like he's rushing through the play to get the play over and done with. And that's something they got to work on on a short turnaround week, because now we got to play Cleveland this week. And we need to come out of that with a win. Otherwise, this season's going to go into a tailspin that none of us have ever seen. So, you know, is, is the issue the offensive coordinator? It seems the last year with Ben, the issue there has 
transferred over to year one with Mitch Trubisky. And a lot of people sitting there, you know, oh, well, now people are changing their minds on, on, on bashing Mitch because on Ben Roethlisberger's uh, podcast, Footballing with Ben Roethlisberger, he says, you know, you guys can't sit there and boo the guy. It's not his fault, you know. And Ben knows firsthand. But Ben had the full autonomy to call whatever he wanted at the line because Ben was the, ben was the field general for 18 freaking years. So, you know, I get that Mitch isn't the future of this team. Mitch Trubisky is the, the stopgap to, to Kenny Pickett, but you still have to let Mitch control the offense like he's going to be here for 18 years. That's what you have to do. You have to give Mitch the confidence to do what Mitch can do. Mitch, Mitch Trubisky was semi-successful in a mediocre offense ran by a head coach with his head up his ass in Chicago and Matt Nagy. So Mike Tomlin needs to step in here and do what he does best, and he needs to set the standard here and now. And the standard is, plain and simple, if Mitch sees something different from the, from the defense, he changes the play at the line. That's it. It's fucking simple as that. Okay, because what we're seeing right now is not Steeler football. This is football I've never seen before that I'm not used to. And it's, it's, uh, to me, it's atrocious. It, it's utterly atrocious. It, it's every play. You're you know, up third and out, three and out, three and out, punt, 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 field goal, punt, punt, punt. You can literally make an EDM song off of it. Punt, 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 field goal, punt, punt, punt. And then put some little trancy beat behind it. You, you know, it's, it's just... I don't. I, I I can't comprehend what it is with this Matt Canada guy. It's almost like we still have Randy Fickner, but just a younger, slimmer version of that jackass. It's it's ridiculous. But also a week two, what we what we had seen. Obviously, Buffalo is a team right now that is on a tear. Josh Allen is in the zone. Diggs is in the zone. Um, this defense right now looks unstoppable. And me and Jay are sitting here Monday night. We're watching. We're watching the uh, the Titan Bill game. And at this point, the Bills are up by like 24, 30, 30 points at this point. And there's like still six, seven minutes left. I said at this point, you might as well put Malik Willis in. So they put Malik Willis in with like thirty seconds left. And then Willis didn't do no better. But I don't know what they're gonna do in Tennessee. Because they're a team that's on the decline. It's the same thing with Indianapolis. No matter who you bring in a quarterback, they can't seem to win. They couldn't beat the Jaguars. Um, you know, you go back to the Jets-Browns game real quick. You know, Joe Beningo was saying on WFAM with Tiki and Tierney, because I guess he's the midday, the, the midday guest for uh, any Jet game, whether it's win or lose. And now he's saying this could be the win that turns the culture of the team around. It might. I mean, you saw you saw what you were getting out of Garrett Wilson. Two TD day, like eight nine receptions, a hundred and something yards. You know, receiving. Um, the running back that they drafted looked pretty good. You know, the fact that they were able to come back from thirteen with eighty two seconds left with Joe Flacco as the quarterback. You know, I was sitting there at halftime saying they should have put Mike White in and just call it a day. And yet they stuck with Flacco, and Flacco did what Flacco had to do. And a part of that is, you know, Cleveland, you know, Cleveland's defense just kind of let their foot off the gas. And, you know, as always, Cleveland's going to Cleveland. Um, Cincinnati's another team. You know, they were supposed to be the dominant team in the AFC North. 
well, they haven't looked that dominant. Joe Burrow has looked like, he hasn't looked like Joe Burrow. So far, he's been sacked 13 to 15 times already. He's on pace to get sacked 111 times this year. This offensive line has done nothing to protect him, even though they spent money on the offensive line, and yet they still can't protect the guy. So I don't know what they're going to do in Cincinnati. I really don't care if they win another fucking game at all this year. I really don't care if Cleveland wins another game. All I know is tomorrow, Pittsburgh needs to go in and play Pittsburgh Steeler football. Najee needs to have a big game. Mitch needs to friggin' be the field general that we paid him to be. Mike Tomlin's got to let Mitch Trubisky be the field general. So... <laughs> I got no idea at this point. If you're a Steeler fan, you're listening, you're probably doing the same thing I'm doing right now. You're just shaking your head and just hoping and praying that we come out on top next this Thursday. I don't care if it's by a touchdown or a field goal. I don't care as long as it's a win because this AFC North is going to be a battle the whole year for first place supremacy. And if the Steelers somehow can manage to come out on top of it all, I would I would be surprised. With, with, with all that's going on right now, you know, they've never fired an offensive coordinator in middle, in, during the year. You've never, you've always heard they're going to let him go at the end of the year. I think this is something where with a new GM and Omar Khan, he needs to set the tone and say, well, yeah, we're used to doing things this way, but we're going to start doing things this way, you know, and we're going to get rid of this guy. You know, he sucks. And, and that's just that. You know, Matt Canada's not the guy. You know, every day on Twitter I see everybody's missing Todd Haley. You know, they wish Todd Haley would come back. Todd Haley's had a lot of ill things to say about the Steelers' offense in years past. But, you know, if they were to make the call and pay him a good amount of money, I'd like to see Todd Haley come back. But we'll have to wait and see what happens on that. But with that being said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going, finish watching some of my shows. So I had to come back on and at least do it for longer than 10 minutes, even though I don't know if you can hear him in the background whimpering here and there. But um, to all those that listen, follow, and retweet, you already know who you are. Um, You know, obviously my guys at 1420 Sports, um, Nate's Daily Wagers, uh, Average Joe Sports Podcast, another one, Sports Bliss with Robin Chris, Recliner King Sports Podcast, Scoreboard Addicts, in, if you're into pro wrestling, uh, my buddy Bray Wyatt, uh, Fan24 on Twitter, and he also has a good pods uh, group that's very beneficial to a lot of us that are in it. So a big shout-out to him for starting that. And to everybody else who follows and retweets. Until the next one, stay safe, and as always, peace.